We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. We're continuing in our series, Shadows of Christmas. If you've been here over the last few weeks, you know that we've been looking at some Old Testament scripture, some Old Testament stories. And it's in those stories that we look at that we see these signs or these shadows that are pointing to something in the future, pointing to something or someone greater that was to come. And so week one, just a real quick recap for you. Week one, Pastor Todd and Pastor Matt were, were talking about Adam, and they talked about in Genesis this first Adam that was born, and, and Adam, the first Adam failed, but it was pointing to a greater Adam, the greater Adam, Jesus, that would succeed in every way. Where the first Adam failed, the second, the greater Adam, succeeded in accomplishing all that God had sent him to do. And then last week, week two, we talked about this story of Abraham and Isaac, and we see that Abraham was asked to go and sacrifice his son. And then right at the last moment, God spared Isaac's life by providing a substitute. And what we saw in that story was that while a substitute saved Isaac's life, Jesus came and there was no substitute. He was the greater substitute. He was the one that stepped in our place. And so this morning we're going to continue talking about shadows. We're going to look at another Old Testament story found in the book of Exodus. And so you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 6 in your Bibles. That's where we're going to be camping out for most of the morning. And while you're making your way there, I just want to remind you of what's going on uh, in the history of, of this uh, this book and what we're looking at this morning in the Word. Now, you see, we talked last week about Abraham and Isaac. And if you remember, God had made a promise to Abraham. He said, through you, all nations will be blessed. He says, I'm going to bless you through Isaac, your son. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then we see that Isaac's life was spared. And Isaac grows up and Isaac has several sons, but he has this son named Jacob. Jacob was known as the one who wrestled with God. And eventually God changes Jacob's name to Israel. So Jacob becomes a nation, and it's through that, that lineage from, I, from Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob that we see a nation being born that will be as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And we see Jacob uh, go on, and Jacob has many sons, and Jacob has this one son named Joseph. And if you remember correctly, if you, your Bible stories and your history, Joseph was one of younger of the 12. 
And Joseph had a tendency to share all of the dreams and all of the things that God was doing in his life. And his older brothers didn't like it very much. When your little brother comes and says, hey, by the way, one day you're going to bow down to me. You're like, I don't think so. Right. So this is what's happening in Joseph's life. Joseph is telling his older brothers that he's going to be in charge someday, that he's going to be in control and that you're all going to bow down. God has showed me this in a dream and his brothers don't like it. So his brothers go and they sell him off into slavery. They sell him off into slavery in Egypt. And what they did not know is that this was part of God's plan. You see, God always has a plan even when we can't see it. See, uh, Joseph finds himself in Israel. I mean, in Egypt, sorry. He's in and out of prison. And then through some miraculous events, he interprets some dreams for Pharaoh And so Pharaoh releases him from prison. Pharaoh elevates him to the second position of leadership over the entire nation of Egypt. And here Joseph is, and God uses him in this situation to save an entire nation during a a horrific time of famine. If you remember the popular passage, eventually all of Joseph's brothers, and his, they come to him. They're trying to get some food and some supplies, and he, he knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And then at the end of the story, Joseph looks at them and he says, What you intended for evil, God intended for good. God used all of this. Kind of sounds like Romans 8, 28, where God says, for, uh, he says all things right, work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. This is part of all of those things. Joseph in bondage, in slavery, now leading uh, the nation of Egypt. And he is used to save the nation of Israel. And his brothers come to him. And then finally they, they reconcile and all things are made right. Joseph moves the entire family to Egypt. And that's uh, and, and so we're going to find ourselves in this story here in just a few moments. But so here we are. Joseph eventually grows old and he does what all of us will do someday. He dies. Right. It's unavoidable. It's 100 percent chance you're going to die. Well, Joseph dies and his family is still there. The Pharaoh that he had found favor with is now dead and gone as well. And there's a there's a new Pharaoh in town. And he's not too fond of these foreigners. In fact, this Pharaoh looks at all of these foreigners, this nation of Israel, and he thinks, man, there's too many of them. No matter what we do, they continue to multiply. Their, Their numbers have grown too great. And so this Pharaoh becomes to be very fearful. He starts to to fear this these people, this nation of Israel, thinking that if something goes wrong, they could rise up against us and join our enemies and defeat us. And so this Pharaoh starts to figure out we've got to do something. We've got to work on some crowd control. We've got to oppress these people. And so that's exactly what he does. He begins to treat the people of Israel very, very harshly. We see oppression. We see suffering. We see pain. We see forced labor and slavery for for 400 years. I mean, think about that. These people that had been moved there, and when they moved there, things were good, but now things have gone terribly wrong. And 400 years have gone by, and they find themselves in this hopelessness, 
in this despair. Uh, Think about it. Day in and day out, they would labor, they would work, they would build, they would suffer, they would do all of these things, they would sweat, and nothing they ever did got it caused anything, their situation, to get any better. No matter what they accomplished, their status remained the same. They were slaves, and there was nothing that they could ever do to change that. You see, what they needed in this moment was a deliverer. They needed someone to step in and do something. You see, Their story is not much different from ours. When you read through the story of Exodus and you read through and understand and and study the people of Israel, when they find themselves in this situation, their story is actually a lot like our story. You see, the Bible tells us that we are slaves to sin and death, that we are separated from God, and that we now live under this tyranny of sin and death. That we, we look around, we don't have to look very far, and we can see that, that things are broken. That we live in a broken world, that our lives are broken, that people around us are broken. We know that there is something that is way off. We know that things are just not right. No matter how hard we try, no matter what we try, it seems like there is nothing that we can ever do to change our condition. Think about it, the people that you know. We work We toil, we pursue relationships, but those relationships don't ever fix us. We look to our accomplishments, we get all of our degrees and all of our education, and we climb the ladder, and we accomplish all of these things, but those things never truly satisfy. We work for these possessions, but they're never enough. We go and look at religion, but religion doesn't ever give us true You see, just like the Israelites in Egypt, nothing we can do will ever set us free from the captivity that we are in. What we need is a deliverer to step in and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. When we see this story, we need to see it as our story because we're not much different than the people of Israel. We need a deliverer. So it's been 400 years since Joseph moved the family to Egypt. And I'm sure there were many days where they thought, man, God has forgotten all about us. I mean, 400 years is a long time. Generations have come and gone. Families have have lived and died and more have been born and lived and died. And it seems like nothing is ever going to get better. I'm sure in their mind that they had long forgotten the land that they used to live in. I'm sure in their minds they're thinking, man, God has completely forgotten us or he simply doesn't care. You see, people still respond like this today. I have conversations with people all the time, and when they find themselves in the middle of struggle, in the middle of hardship, in the middle of difficult days, they ask questions like this, where is God in the middle of all of this? Where is He when I need Him? Why would He allow me to go through these types of things? Does He see me? Does He know what I'm going through? And does He even care? 
Let me reassure you, New Beginnings, this morning, if you've ever asked any of these types of questions, that no matter what you're going through, no matter how long you've been going through it, He sees you. He hears you. And He will not forget you. Let's look at Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 2. It says this, it says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Don't miss this. God sees what's going on in Egypt and how his people are being treated. He hears their groanings, he says in chapter 6, and he remembers his covenant promise, that covenant promise that he had made to Abraham all those years ago where he said, I will bless all nations through you. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. I'm going to take you to a promised land. He remembers that promise all these years later. So you see, often in the middle of our suffering, we think that God has forgotten us. So often in, in the middle of our situation, we think that He doesn't care. But God makes it very clear that He is not absent in our brokenness, that He hears our groans, that He remembers our promises. You see, God is actively at work even when you can't see it, even when you don't understand. I want you to know that He is working, that He is moving, that He is pursuing, that He is making all things right and all things new. He's bringing hope into our hopelessness and healing into our heartache, deliverance for our despair. Check out what God says in verse 6. Verse 6, it says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Notice the emphasis there in verse 6. He says, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. What's he doing in this moment? What, he, what he's wanting them and for all of us to know is this, is that God alone is the source of spiritual freedom. He wanted them to understand that what they were unable to do, he was more than able. As slaves, you see, they were powerless. They were hopeless. They were helpless to free themselves from the Egyptians. Nothing they did could change their situation. But God was able. Everybody say, but God. But God was able. He was able to do for them what they could not do for themselves. And listen, church, the same is true for us spiritually. Far too often when, when we're facing these struggles in these difficult times, we think, I've got this. And so here we go, right? Trying to overcome our struggles on our own. Trying to clean ourselves up. Trying to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and dust ourselves off. And when we do this, we, when we go against these things called sin and we try to overcome it in our own strength, it only leads to frustration and failure. You see, we are powerless. 
Just like the Israelites, we are powerless to free ourselves from the slavery of sin. Paul would say it like this in Ephesians 2 as he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He wanted to show them how powerless they were. In fact, he would use some strong language and he would say, Listen, you are spiritually dead in your sin and trespasses. I don't know about you, but the last, when's the last time you've seen something that is dead do anything for itself? It can't, can it? If it's dead, it's what? Dead. Completely and utterly powerless to do anything about its situation. Paul would say we are dead in our sin and that apart from Jesus, we are completely powerless to change anything about it. You see, even as Christians, once we have responded to the gospel, we still find ourselves struggling under our own strength when we don't have to. I was thinking about this the other day when I was thinking about how we struggle under our own strength. And I've been walking with the Lord for a while now, but I still find myself on days trying to do it on my own, trying to think that I'm good enough or smart enough or strong enough or that I can just grip my teeth and power through this struggle. And I was reminded of a time when my 10-year-old son was about two or three. He was a toddler. He was walking around, running around, getting into everything. And I remember we were at our house in Florida, and I remember he was out in the garage, and he had a bunch of his little toddler toys and little tricycles and things. And I had a bunch of weights out in the garage to, to use to work out from time to time. I had a bunch of dumbbells, and there was a huge dumbbell, like a 50-pound dumbbell sitting there. And it was in his way, and it was blocking the toy he wanted to play with. And I remember walking out into the garage and seeing my son down on the ground trying to push this 50-pound dumbbell out of the way in his diaper, trying to do everything he could to move this heavy weight. And the weight weighed more than he did, and he would get down and push, and nothing would move but his feet. And then he would push again, and his feet would slide. The weight didn't, did not budge. No matter how hard he tried, no matter how red he turned in the face, no matter how hard he struggled, and I, his father, sat there and just watched. I watched it all happen, and when he finally got frustrated, and when he finally realized that no matter how hard he struggled, no matter how hard he tried, there was no way he was going to move that weight, he got up and he looked at me and I said, are you done? And he came over there and grabbed me and pulled me over there, and he, and he asked me to move it for him. You see, we need to understand the same thing, church, is that when we face these difficulties, when we face these challenges, and they seem so big and they seem immovable, that we have a Father that is standing right there, and He is more than able to do what you and I can't. He's more than able to move the things that we can't move. He's more than able to deliver us from the things that we need delivered from. He's more than able to set us free from the things that hold us captive. But all you've got to do is ask because you have a father that loves you and that cares and he wants to do for you what you can't do for yourself. But the only way is that you've got to turn to him and you've got to ask him because God alone is the source of our freedom. He's the one who breaks every chain and he's the one that we walk in each and every day. We've got to remember that the same one who saves us, 
is the same one who strengthens us and sustains us on a daily basis. It is by His power, by His Spirit, and by His strength that we do anything in this life. Don't miss the second truth that we see in these verses. You see, God doesn't just deliver us from something, but to someone. Let me say that again. If you're taking notes, God doesn't just deliver us from something, but to someone. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 8. He says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. You see, God promises deliverance from something. He promises deliverance from under the burden of the Egyptians, from slavery and oppression. God wants to deliver them from this burden, from this desperate place of bondage, but He doesn't just want to deliver them from something, but to someone. Verse 7 and 8 says it this way. He says, I will take you to be My people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession, for I am the Lord. God's saying, I'm going to deliver you from the Egyptians, but I'm going to deliver you to myself, that I would be your God, that you would be my people, and that we would be restored into a right relationship. You see, their greatest need was not just to be delivered from slavery to Egypt. You see, their greatest need and our greatest need is not to be delivered from our difficulties. Our greatest need is to be redeemed and restored into a relationship with God Himself. That is the solution to our problem. That is the remedy to all of our struggles. You see, how does God accomplish this? How does He accomplish this deliverance, so to speak? Well, in Exodus, He he uses a man named Moses. And He sends Moses to the Pharaoh at that time. And He says, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I'm sure that sounds familiar if you've watched the old Ten Commandments movie or if you've read through the story. But Moses goes and he does what he's told and he tells Pharaoh, hey, God said to let his people go. And to that, Pharaoh says, no. Right? Over and over and over and over again. No matter what Moses says, no matter what God does, Pharaoh hardens his heart and he says, absolutely not. So God starts to send these plagues to get his attention, to wake him up. And he sends ten different plagues. If you remember the story, the first one is he turns the the water to blood. And then he sends frogs and he sends gnats and he sends flies and he sends hailstorms. It sounds a lot like East Texas, doesn't it? (laughs) He sends locusts that then consume everything. He sends complete darkness in the land. Darkness like they had never seen before. 
In all of those times, Pharaoh digs his heels in and he says, no, not doing it. Until the tenth and final plague. Check out what God does in Egypt. If you have your Bibles open, flip over to Exodus Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus 12, starting in verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You see, God's about to bring judgment on the nation. God is about to kill the firstborns in every household, even the firstborn animals. God is going to strike the land with catastrophe. You see, God had Moses tell all of the people, the nation of Israel, to sacrifice an unblemished lamb. And then he said, I want you to take its blood and I want you to use some of this hyssop branch and I want you to paint the blood of that lamb over the door of your homes and on the side doorposts of your home. And it says, when the angel of death flies over, when he sees the blood of the lamb that covers your home, he will pass over you and you will receive mercy. You see, this is huge. This is significant. The only way to escape the judgment that was coming to the land was for your home to be covered by the blood of the lamb. I don't know if you know this or not, church, but that is still the only way for you to be protected, for you to be protected from the things that God has in store for the people who do not love Him or follow Him, is that you would be covered by the blood of the Lamb. It is the only way for you to escape judgment. This is so significant because every resident in Egypt, don't miss this, including God's people, were guilty of sin. Every single person. Israel was not exempt Just because they were God's covenant people, just because they were His chosen people, they were still guilty as charged. They were still just as guilty as you and I. And guilt means that they deserved punishment. Every single one of them was deserving of God's judgment. But God, let's say it again, but God, He is faithful in this moment. He is faithful to His Word. He is faithful to His promises that He had made long ago. And He remembers that covenant. He remembers that promise. And He provides a substitute. He provides an unblemished lamb. You see, this is how God delivers the nation of Israel from their enemy. The death of a lamb had to die in their place. Don't miss that. The death of a lamb had to die in their place to provide the freedom that they had longed for. You see, without the Passover, 
Without the Passover lamb, there would be no exodus. With no Passover, there's no escape. With no Passover, there is no exodus, no way out. And the same is true for us as well. You see, in the Passover, we see a a shadow. We see a shadow that is pointing us to a greater lamb, a greater deliverer, one who would cover all the sins of humanity once and for all, that they would not receive what they deserve, but they would be redeemed and restored because of the blood of the lamb. You see, this was the shadow that was pointing to the Lamb of God that would come thousands of years later. In John chapter 1, John the baptizer is hanging out with his friends and the people in the community, and his cousin Jesus comes walking along one day. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God filled John up, and he saw Jesus. And in that moment, he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm sure in that moment, church, that if the people of that community, the people of that town that had been there for a while, I'm sure in that moment when John said those words that everyone slammed on the brakes. Everything stopped in that moment and they said, time out, hold on, wait a minute. What did you just say? Did you just say that this carpenter's son, that this Galilean that we all know, this man named Jesus is the Lamb of God, and that He is here to take away the sins of the world. you got to see how important this was. You see, this, these people in this community had been giving sacrificial lambs day in and day out, morning and evening, every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year in the annual festivals, for year after year, decade after decade, for centuries. They had, been having, they had to provide a sacrificial lamb and a priest would kill this lamb in, play, in, in atonement for the people's sins. To atone for their sins, something had to die. And it was always these sacrificial lambs in, in the temple that they would offer. Blood had to be spilled. And so in this moment, as soon as John says these words, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, everything stopped. You see, this was one of those moments where the shadow now became a reality. Where the shadow finally came to life and they saw it for what it was. John made this bold declaration that this man named Jesus was now here. The one we've been waiting for for all of these years, for centuries, from the, from the exodus of Egypt until now, we've been doing this thing called the Passover meal. We've been sacrificing lambs. And all of these things have just been temporary substitutes, shadows pointing us to the greater Lamb of God, the greater substitute who would take away the sins of the world. Look what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews, starting in verse 5, says these words. He says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body that you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. In other words, these were all just temporary substitutes that would never suffice. In verse 7, he says, Then I said, Behold, for I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said the above, he said, You have neither desired 
nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first. Don't miss this. This is Jesus. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, Jesus Christ came to do the will of the Father, to do what no one else could do. He came to offer Himself as the ultimate and final sacrifice for the sins of humanity. He came to set us free. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 11, says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Don't miss that. He says the priests that offer these lambs and offer these goats and offer these bulls and offer these rams. They offer all of these animal sacrifices for centuries. And these sins are, these, 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 these sacrificial lambs and animals are just substitutes. They're just temporary. They can never take away the sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemy should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the final and ultimate sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice that could take away the sins of the world. It says that perfected for all time are those of us who are being sanctified. We get to trade our slavery and our bondage and our brokenness of sin for His perfection and His holiness and and His freedom that He offers in and through His sacrifice. You see, on, on Jesus' last night, before He was betrayed and arrested and eventually beaten beyond recognition and nailed to the cross, He uh, sends His disciples, His best friends, into town ahead of Him. And it just so happens to be that it's the week of Passover that Tradition that had started all the way back in Exodus. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years before this moment in time. And Jesus sends His disciples into town and He says, find a room and prepare a room that we might share in this Passover meal together. I'm sure they had eaten this meal many a times throughout Jesus' life. I'm sure they had shared this meal together over the last three years. But this night, there was something different about this night. Jesus reclines at the table when they're sharing this meal and this food, and He says, how I have longed to share this meal with you. He says, I know that you've done this all for all of your lives. I know that your fathers and your grandfathers and your great-grandfathers and all those who have come before you all the way back to Moses, 
that they have been doing this thing called the Passover meal every single year, honoring and remembering what God did in Egypt, how He delivered us from our enemies how He passed over our homes and He extended mercy and grace. And in this moment, Jesus looks at His friends, He looks at His disciples, and He says, I know this is what you've always done, but let me tell you what I'm about to do. You see, this was the old, but I'm establishing a new, a brand new covenant with you. And as He took the bread and He broke the bread, He said, from now on, when you take this meal and you share it together, every time you break this bread, I want you to remember my body that is to be broken for you. I am the lamb that's about to be sacrificed. My body is offered up for you. And every time you take of this cup and every time you drink of the fruit of the vine, I want you to remember my blood that's going to be shed for the remission of your sins. Because it is only by the blood of the Lamb that those sins can be covered. And so I'm coming now and I'm offering myself as the Holy Lamb of God, as the ultimate sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. I'm going to allow myself to be killed and crucified and nailed to a tree, but I'm going to conquer sin and death in the grave once and for all, for all of humanity once and for all. And so from now on, every time you break this bread and every time you drink this cup, I want you to remember that this is the new covenant, that your sins are forgiven, that you are free, because who the Son sets free, he or she is free indeed. Our response time this morning, we're going to have the opportunity as brothers and sisters of Christ to come to the table and share in the bread and in the wine. And as we do that, I, I, it says in Scripture not to rush into this. It says that sh we should prepare our hearts for this moment. That we should ask the Lord to search our hearts and see if there's any way in us that's offensive to Him. So let us not rush into this. Let's take some time to reflect, to repent, and to make things right before we share in the elements. And so I want to ask you in the next few moments as the band leads us in worship to let your worship be a time of reflection before we share in the Lord's Supper. You see, the Passover was a shadow pointing to a greater thing, which was the Lord's Supper, the new covenant. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you that when all hope seemed lost, that you stepped into our situation. You stepped into our world and you died in our place. Jesus, you came and you lived the life we could never live and then you died a death that we all deserve. Jesus, we can never say thank you enough. We ask that you would forgive us where we have failed you. Forgive us of anything that offends you. God, we pray that in this next few moments that you would just search our hearts, oh God, that you would reveal to us the things that we need to make right. God, we ask as we do this in remembrance of you that we would never forget that you are the one who paid it all so that we could be free. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.